Hi, I'm Ian Whitaker, host of the JC Deco Digital Changemakers podcast. The Digital Changemakers podcast showcases industry research and insights to inspire senior marketeers to push the boundaries on their marketing strategies and become change agents in their organizations. Today, we're talking about the economic powerhouse that is the Gen Z audience. This is the generation of people born between 1997 and 2012. Gen Zs now comprise 15% of the UK population. And as more Gen Zs enter the workplace, their spending power and importance to brands is rising fast. But how different are they from previous generations? New insight from Future Lab reveals that 71% of Gen Zs say they'd pay more for brands that are aligned with their core beliefs and values. So if doing the right thing is a priority for this audience, how does this shape brand and marketing strategies? To help us unpick how and why marketers need to understand Gen Zs, I'm delighted to welcome Kian Bakhtiari, founder of The People, a Gen Z insights and strategy agency. Kian was formerly head of strategy at Dentsu, was named one of the top 20 future leaders by the FT. He is a one young world ambassador and a youth advisor to the UN on climate change. Welcome, Kian. Thanks very much for, for coming along. Great to meet you. Normally, we're, we're, when we do these, we usually sort of start off with just asking people just about themselves, their background, and also as well sort of of how they really started what they're doing. So why, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and then also as well how you started the people and how it came about? Yeah, sure. Firstly, and great to be here. Yeah. I'm excited to be on the oh, good. <laughs> Digital Changemakers podcast. I think the name is apt for mm. the work. So my name is Kian. Mm. I am the founder of The People, and we are a Gen Z consultancy powered by a global community of young creators and changemakers from mm -hmm. diverse backgrounds. So our mission is to amplify the voices of young people mm -hmm. and diverse and underserved communities. And the benefit of that for companies is to help them both diversify and future-proof mm -hmm. their business. And to your question of how it all started. So yeah. I used to work as a researcher in House of Parliament which sounds okay. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds Slightly incredible, yeah. <laughs> but it was incredibly boring, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for me, I knew that wasn't my calling. Mm -hmm. I wanted to create change. Like a lot of people that come out of university, I wanted to change the world and I thought that would be my vehicle. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it was a lot of recommendations, but no actions. Things yeah. moved really slow. So then I randomly ended up in the world of media and marketing. So I ended up at an advertising agency called 46, okay, uh, which was part of Dentsu. And my role there was strategist and then eventually youth insight leads. Mm -hmm. And the more I worked uh, on projects and campaigns, I just realized a lot of time, effort and money was being spent by a lot of really smart people. Mm -hmm to create these campaigns, millions and millions. Mm. But on the other side, when I was chilling with my friends, they couldn't care less. Okay, that's, and it, that's interesting, okay. Yeah, and I think 
that's at the heart of why I decided to start the people. There was this disconnect between those two worlds mm -hmm. of where campaigns, marketing, communications was being created mm -hmm. and how much it mattered to ordinary people mm -hmm. in the outside world. And that's why we're called the people. Mm -hmm. So it's all about representing the voices of the people mm -hmm. in boardrooms and making sure young people are part of the creative and decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So rather than that coming at the end of the process, mm -hmm. I was quite new to everything, uh, Ian. And yeah. I think there's something beautiful in the beginner's mindset where you question things that are taken as a given. And the mm -hmm. question I asked was, what if you involve people from the very start of the process yep. rather than the end? Mm -hmm. And that's when how it all started. So okay, yeah, four years ago, launched yeah. the people and... It's all been from there. It's all been from there. It's a fantastic story. Certainly a diverse one in itself with, with quite a few few loops as well. I want to come back to that point, actually, just on sort of in a moment, just on what you said about sort of, of Gen Z, young people not really sort of engaging with the ads and the campaigns that have been written. But maybe first of all, can we just go into the whole sort of, of structure of Gen Z, the opportunity. I mean, you've explained why you targeted Gen Z, but maybe I think for, for a lot of people, Gen Z gets bandied around as mm -hmm. a phrase that people talk, oh, you know, Gen Z. But when, if you were to ask people to actually define the scale of the market opportunity within there, what are the potential prospects moving forward, both indeed in the short term and the long term, then I think people would sort of struggle with with some of the some of the detail of that. So, in an upshot, in a nutshell, rather than an upshot, <laughs> can you can you give us a, a just a, for for the help of everyone here? Could you just give an idea of, of sort of the opportunity that Gen Z presents? Yes, that's a great question, Ian. And I think just starting out with the headlines mm -hmm. and just a top line. Gen Z is the largest generation mm -hmm. globally. So 2.5 billion people. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes the danger is seeing it as something quite distant mm -hmm. or a future audience, a future consumer set. But actually, it's now the biggest generation. Mm -hmm. And it's also the most diverse generation globally. Mm -hmm. So I think those two factors, when you look at them in combination with one another, mm -hmm. means if you're doing business... And if you're trading, you can't afford to not understand that world. That being said, it sounds very controversial, but I, to your point, I actually think the term Gen Z mm -hmm. is not very helpful when it comes to really understanding the nuances mm -hmm. within that generation because it's completely different uh, across different countries, yeah. across different cultures. For people that I don't have kids yet, but even if people have kids... They could have two kids in the same household mm. and they might still have different attitudes and behaviors. So I yeah. think viewing it as a cohort mm -hmm. that have some similar experiences mm -hmm. that sh shape their upbringing and how they view the world. Mm -hmm. But also there's a need to drill into, okay, within Gen Z, who are we actually talking about? Yeah, exactly. And I think also as well from a sort of oh, from a financial standpoint. I think this is again where 
where sort of the, there is some uncertainty as the potential sort of scale of the opportunity. I mean, if you look at, you, you could take both sides of the argument. You can say, well, if people are younger, have they necessarily sort of reached their peak earning power and so forth? And yet, if we take, for example, financial results from somebody like an Amex, yeah, and what they were doing, sort of the, the fastest rate of growth in terms of, of the categories actually came from Gen Z and younger. And they're talking about people who are, they want to go out and spend more post the pandemic and, and on experiences. So is it sort of, of, and I think it probably goes again to what you said about there will be gradients within sort of, of behavior. But for, for advertisers, the potential pot of money is, uh, is there. How would you outline that opportunity? I think your Amex example is a great example mm. where, again, I think a few years ago, the mm -hmm. conversation was Gen Z's emerging. Mm -hmm. And I think the mindset now is, okay, they are actually in the market and they're yeah. spending. Are we going to be part of that mm -hmm. uh, process? Yeah. If not, I think a, the danger is a lot of companies are going to rely on their existing customer base, which is okay, but that's not a long-term uh, strategy. And I think what's really key to that, which you touched on, mm -hmm. Ian, is Gen Z, especially the older part of Gen Z. So mm -hmm. let's say someone in their 20s to 24 are entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different dynamic where you've got money to spend, you're earning money, but also they're living in financial uncertainty. Mm. So the way companies have to, especially B2C companies, have to tailor their proposition and their strategy mm -hmm. is going to have to change. So you can't just do the same thing yeah. and expect uh, new results. Yeah, from, from what you've done before. I mean, there's one, one thing. No, I think that's a very good point. I mean, there's one thing that, that is, and I do want to, uh, again, do want to come back to this point about how difficult marketeers sort of find, find difficult. But there's, there's one one question that we just had before that is that for Gen Z, and again, this is you know with the caveat, of course, that this is a this is a very sort of of broad group. Have you seen any noticeable changes in behavioural patterns or spend patterns post the pandemic? Because you know, there's an argument for saying that actually for Gen Z, probably were the most impacted by the pandemic, and particularly given that. Many of them would have been at university when it happened or just at school. And obviously, their lives had been disrupted. Yeah, um, it's a great question. I think one thing I would, I don't know if we can share like any show notes, but one thing yeah. that I would really recommend is during the height of the pandemic, we mm -hmm. launched our post-pandemic report, okay, which is a really historic piece of research because we really captured the moment. Mm -hmm. where young people were experiencing the lockdown pandemic and how it made them feel. So mm -hmm. being able to get a snapshot of how they felt within that moment. Yeah. And as you say, the l later on impacts of that. If I'm honest, I think we don't even know the level of impact yet. From a, We yeah. worked with a psychologist and they mentioned that you can't, you won't be able to know until later on the full impact. We do know it's really, especially on the younger end, mm -hmm. really been challenging in terms of developing social skills. Mm -hmm. uh, loneliness is a big challenge yeah. for young people. So that's from a kind of psychology, mm -hmm. behavior perspective. 
The other side of the spectrum, I think, is that uncertainty. So you see a lot of yearning for like nostalgia yeah. and the old world. And I think part of that is not necessarily because it was better or they remember it. Yeah, It's this kind of desire for a stability or at least the illusion of yeah. some st- sort of kind of calm mm-hmm. when everything is moving. So if you imagine you're a young person now, you've gone through a global pandemic. Yeah, There's a financial uncertainty and you're probably going to earn less on average than previous yeah. generation and you're dealing with climate crisis and the anxiety that comes with that so yeah. that's quite a lot so you tend to we see a lot of young people tend to cling on to any forms of stability or certainty they can right okay okay that that, that yeah you say it's there's some interesting topics to pick up on that a, the psychologist point i think is absolutely right there was research that was done I think it was in the 1970s that we're looking for people sort of from the Great Depression mm. who had grown up during the Great Depression and essentially said that still four decades later, yeah, they had a completely different mindset when it came to being more uh, risk averse, more financially conservative you know, with things. And that had really been shaped by their experiences during, during the Great Depression. And, you know, the pandemic in that way feels as though obviously it didn't last as long. Mm but feels as though there may be some long-lasting effects that come through from that. Yeah, and I think one thing to add, it's really interesting the comparisons you make because mm. lots change, but some things in history repeat itself. And I think one of those is young people's view mm-hmm. of the world of work has changed drastically. Yeah, When you asked about post-pandemic, they've just realized they're not going to have that 30-year job, that stability. So there is an opportunity there where there's tremendous creativity and entrepreneurship that we're seeing with young people in our own community where they have to find their own ways of making money and making life work for them. And that creates a whole new uh, landscape, Ian, that we're really excited by. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, that's perfect. That's That's absolutely superb. Now, I am going to come back to that question I said, so I would marketeers why they find it so difficult to actually get and really sort of reach into gen z audiences do you think it's a well let's say your views i I, i've got one or two thoughts but 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 let's hear your views on that and then there's going to be a couple of points that i'm sure want to go into a bit more yeah more detail i'd love to hear back your (laughs) thoughts on it as well ian um i think there's a few things that we're seeing as consistent themes the first one I think I touched on is the bubble. Mm. I believe a lot of marketing happens in a bubble. And it's that, have you heard of like the Ikea effect? Of, no, go so, on. So the <laughs> Ikea effect is basically, uh, it's, uh, it's basically we pay a disproportionate amount of attention to something that we've created ourselves. So uh, when okay. they've done research, if you kind of assemble the table yourself yeah you're less likely to throw it out because there's a level of investment yeah and i think the same happens in the world of advertising and marketing Mm -hmm. because people spend let's say eight hours in the day thinking about toothpaste yeah they might think that the audience is also spending the same level of time and i think that can really create a warp where how important things are 
in their world yeah. and how they view things compared to an ordinary person that's thinking about their mortgage, having some food, bringing some food on the table. Yeah. So it's that disconnect. And I think increasingly, because of deadlines, lack of time, less there's a le- less of a connection of people going to the outside world and seeing how people live. Yeah. So, no. so that, I would say, is definitely the first one. Mm. I think there's a macro picture that's not marketer's fault of mm. the media landscape has changed, mm-hmm. where before there was these kind of big tentpole moments mm. that you could kind of plan against. But what does that look like when everyone's consuming media in different ways yeah. at different times? So we've gone from mass marketing to how do you communicate to tribes. Yeah. So I think that's the second one, Ian. And then the last thing I would say is back to the bubble point and the IKEA effect, making sure there's representation mm-hmm. and diversity, not just backgrounds, but diversity of thoughts okay. in the creative process. Because otherwise you end up uh, creating similar things and you're not really challenged or bringing new ideas to the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you my, and those are all excellent points. Yeah. And I have to admit, it's like when I was thinking about, okay, that actually makes a hell of a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about that that before. Do you think there is potentially that, yeah, there is just also as well, just the age gap question. Mm. And it sort of touches on what you said before anyway, just in terms of, of different forms of media coming through. We don't have those tempo moments uh, and the people who are, at the top of the tree, in terms of the decision-making process, their formative years would have grown up during during those times, you know, including mm. myself. Uh, and more, I'm talking more from an age perspective rather than the top of the decision tree <laughs> perspective. But but from a a from that perspective, and then also as well that therefore they don't necessarily sort of, of understand properly what's happening with Gen Z audiences. Mm. So it is an element of the usage around media, but it's also as well an element around the whole cultural, behavioral, attitudinal sort of, of, if you want to call it sort of zeitgeist. Yeah. That's around Gen Z. That's, I think you've touched on a really important point, Mm -hmm. Ian, of that. We see it, you're right, actually, if you were to think of it as in terms of what's the real problem Mm -hmm. from a system level perspective, Mm -hmm. which you've done, is there's an intergenerational issue mm-hmm. and challenge at play where actually if you look at, for example, agencies, mm-hmm. the average age of someone that is agency is super young. Yep. However, when you look at businesses, so if you look at the C-suite or leadership within companies, mm-hmm. there's a huge gap. So just to put that into perspective, the 50% of the world's populations under 30, mm-hmm. and especially if you take into consideration developing countries. Yep. But the average age of like a board of directors is 60. And yep. that's that's not to discount all their experiences and uh, their ability to understand and create impact. Mm-hmm. But it's to say, to your point, there's a disconnect there of understanding what's happening now, yep. which has always been the case. Leadership is slightly distant from what's happening on the streets. Mm. However, I think that's even more pronounced now in terms of 
the impact that has on decision making. That's a really interesting point. And you, you've always had this with, with the disconnect. As I said, I think, again, it, it, it's a personal view. I think probably the rate of change in terms of, of attitudinal behaviors is, and maybe people would have said the same in the 60s mm. and so forth. So it is seems to be increasing. What what do companies do about that? Because some will say, well, maybe we should bring in Gen Z straight into into the into the board process. Others will say that's something that we can sort of uh, we can handle within our existing structures. Maybe share some tips of, uh, as what you've seen works quite well. Yeah, and I think to your point, just on that pace of change it's also about the thing we're seeing Ian it's also about blind spots mm -hmm. where companies if they don't know what's happening like the changes that are happening mm -hmm. and because some of these companies tend to be quite big yeah. by the time they adapt it's arguably too late so yeah. it's also a case about speed mm -hmm. and also to your point earlier about the business opportunity with Gen Z the other way I communicate it with our partners is it's not just Gen Z. Like if you look at any technology, any adoption in consumer behavior, the rest of the market follows. Yep. So there's a real need, like most businesses in, uh, in, from my perspective should be prioritizing at least the understanding bit. And then to your point about how do you do that? If it's helpful, I can share how we do that. Yeah. Just that, to kind of be, bring yeah, it to sure. life. So, the way we approach it is through our Champions of Change program. So yeah. that's really working with partners and clients who want to be a champion of change, mm -hmm. both for their business, to future-proof their business, but also for society and young people mm -hmm. who are facing lots of challenges in their lives. So it's a win-win for both. Mm -hmm. And the way we start is usually taking them on a journey from education mm -hmm. to empowerment because... One thing we've learned to your question of how do you do that yeah. and where do you start, which is a question we often get. One thing we've learned over the years, if you don't do that education piece, it's really hard to create change and long-lasting change. Yeah. So the first thing we do is C-suite briefing, which is to the leadership team. And that often comes top down. Yeah. Because again, Ian, we've seen that unless leadership are bought in, yeah. it's really hard to create that change because... Often you have people in the teams, maybe younger, maybe from different backgrounds, mm. that are already advocating. But yeah. if if leadership isn't aligned and doesn't believe this is a priority, nothing will change. And then the second part is co-creation. So rather than seeing it as this distant audience, why not co-create your project, your plan, your strategy with Gen Z? Yeah. And then the last part to your point about boards, once partners have been on that journey, we build shadow boards. So that could be a youth council to okay. provide ongoing, outside-in, fresh perspectives mm -hmm. to diversify and future-proof the business. Yeah. And that's great because there's no... It's great to have that within the company, mm -hmm. but having that external perspective, again, where there's no kind of uh, bias. Yeah. And they'll tell you how it is is often really helpful. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's that's actually a that's actually a really superb short point on there. You actually preempted my next question, which yeah. is actually about champions of the, uh, <laughs> champions of change uh, uh, and so forth. And how 
just yeah, a few stats on Champions Change. How many people have sort of gone through it? Sort of how many organizations are doing it? If people want to become part of it, how can they do that? Yes, I think one thing that's important to us is our mission, which I shared earlier to amplify the voices of young people mm -hmm. and underserved communities. So through the work we do with companies, we're also able to support our community. Mm -hmm. So just to put that in perspective, over the last two years, we've mentored over 300 young people mm -hmm. from diverse backgrounds. We've been able to help them get into jobs. We help them with their portfolios. We introduce them to businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's only possible because of companies that are committed to being champions. Yeah. And there's some really great examples. One of the best examples I can think of is our partnership with Pentland Brands, which, who have been okay. through the entire journey uh, with us from the C-suite briefings mm. to creating a reverse mentoring program okay. for young people yeah. from diverse backgrounds. And then we've just launched a youth council for them, which will be shaping into their employee value proposition uh, globally. Okay. So I think that's that's the journey. Yeah. And likewise, JC Dicko is another great champion of change who's actively invested in our Next Gen Muslim uh, report. Yeah. And we're working closely with both the Reach program and Gengage to make sure the voices of young people are included. Yeah. Uh, likewise with L'Oreal, we've done a lot of work with them around co-creation where their challenge, Ian, was all their products are for him and for her. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean for a new generation that doesn't ascribe to those yeah. values? So I think the briefs and the projects are diverse in nature, but really the brief is at the heart of it is wanting to do, having this shared values and mission mm. to want to support the future of young people, but also the future of their own business, yeah. investing in the future of the business. Now, that's, the, 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 the quite a few sort of extra questions follow so <laughs> <laughs> that could, could come out of that uh, uh, and so on. I do want to do focus, though, on in the out-of-home space specifically. Because you've worked recently with JC Deco on out of home campaign that's, that's targeting Gen Z specifically. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And also, as well, what you see is the opportunities, sort of where out of home actually provides extra opportunities for advertisers really to get into to Gen Z. Yeah, I think it's such an exciting space. And we were, we really enjoyed being part of the Gen Gage program launch, yeah. uh, which was in Paddington. And it was a great, testament to where, what the future of out of home looks like uh -huh. and we're really proud to be one of the partners on the Gengage program and reach and to your question of why is it important yeah and where are the opportunities you mentioned the pandemic i think increasingly it's been really tough for young people mm -hmm. and it's been quite especially with lockdown quite isolating yeah. so any for us from a community perspective, any opportunity to bring young people together, unify people, help young people socialize, it's great for the future, mm. but also it's great for business because I think one of the biggest macro challenges, and I briefly touched on it, I've recently wrote a report, uh, not a report, sorry, 
article for Forbes around the okay. loneliness pandemic. Yeah. Epidemic. And I think one of the advantages of the Gengage program is when marketers only focus on messages on social mm. or one-to-one, there's a missed opportunity to bring people together and communities together. And I think that's the power of out of home. So whether you're on the train, whether you're in a shopping center, whether you're meeting with your friends to go for lunch or dinner or just chilling, brands can be part of the journey and the conversation and actually be relevant within the context of young people's lives in ways where one-to-one communication doesn't provide that opportunity. Yeah, I, I, that's a very good point. I think what tends to happen is that people tend to look at the world in sort of black and white terms when it's actually shades of grey. So, mm. yeah, this whole thing about, you know, the trend that had been in advertising about it's all about individualization and it's all about one-to-one. As you say, what you really need is more of a mixture of things rather than, yeah, it's not all just mass market, but it's not, not just all one-to-one. And, yeah, out of home it in that context fits in extremely well. This has been great. I'm going to end on one question, which is essentially, if you had to give a piece of advice to any marketeers out there in terms of what they should do sort of for Gen Z, what what would it be to target Gen Z? Yeah. The first thing I would say is obviously call us and we can help you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say the first thing to do is when you have that brief or that project or you're thinking about, okay, we need to reach Gen Z, we need to communicate to Gen Z, my first question is, okay, but who? So specifically, mm-hmm. is there a specific audience mm-hmm. or community within that? And then the second part is rather than seeing it from a distance uh-huh. as a kind of far, far away unknown co-create so whether that's your existing your internal employees that are from that age group yeah whether it's your customers or whether you need to work with external partners create with not for okay all right that's great thanks so so much that's been absolutely superb pleasure no no not at all it's (laughs) great looking forward to hearing more from the people (laughs) thank you ian (laughs) not at all Thank you so much for talking with us today. It was such a pleasure to hear about the inspirational work you are doing, helping companies connect with Gen Z and underserved communities. If there is anything you would like to ask us or hear more about, you can visit the JCDCO Digital Changemakers Hub online. We hope you enjoyed listening. And wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share.